first round of the playoffs is now in the books. We have gotten through a wild, wild card weekend and now are getting ready for the divisional round. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here with Inside the Pile on the podcast. This is our weekly 45-minute show designed to give you all the information you need to get you up to speed for the weekend ahead. And Mark, pretty pretty good weekend, I think, in general. In particular, a couple games uh, coming out of the NFC, I think, that really told us some things uh, looking forward into the next weekend here. Yeah, a pretty good opening round of games. I mean, some interesting finishes. Obviously, the Bengals game and the way that finished and the missed kick by uh, Blair Walsh and that Vikings-Seahawks game. So, a lot to cover. So, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a packed show. We will do our weekly Taylor Swift and Adele check. Uh, we'll get this done in three seconds here. I'm a no. I'm a no, Bupkis. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. So. Yep. At least we got that out of the way. Let's That's get ball, yeah. That let's get right down to football. There's it's it, it's that time of year. I mean, it's an exciting time here. And let's start with the AFC. First game that we have coming up this weekend is going to be Chiefs Patriots. This is, if I'm correct, first time these two teams have met since since the Chiefs blew out the Patriots last year, which was kind of a turning point for that 2014 Patriots team. Yeah, it was because after that big blowout loss on Monday night, I mean, the Patriots, they were done. They were, you know, dead in the water and just packed up, folded the tent, and uh, this, their season was over, right? Well, that's exactly how it played out. I mean, it was just, you know, they didn't go on and win the Super Bowl or anything. But no. let's here's, here's a question that I have. And, you know, I look at this, and for Patriots fans here, the last time they saw that Chiefs team was about a year and a half ago now. How much similarity is there from that Chiefs team to this one today? I think defensively there's enough similarity that should give Patriots fans cause for concern. Um, up front, they're a stout defensive front. Um, they can get after the – they can pressure the quarterback. Um, Houston's having a great year. they got guys up front, some D tackles that are, you know, stout as well. Um, and in that game in particular, you know, thinking back to that Monday night game, that was – you know, a tough night for Tom Brady. There were, you know, reads that he missed. I actually previewed that game on Inside the Pylon last year and, you know, highlighted some of the ways that other teams attacked that Chiefs cover three scheme. And Brady threw interceptions on routes that, you know, Ryan Tannenhill and Jake Locker had success with against the Chiefs earlier in that season. So, you know, when stuff like that happens, you start to wonder what's going on with an offense when Tom Brady's missing throws that Locker and Tannehill are making. Um, so I think there are enough similarities, at least defensively, the big question offensively for Kansas City is, you know, the health of Jerry Macklin. Yeah, that's going to be a, a big issue going forward because if if he can't go, if he's limited, then it's really a Travis Kelsey, you know, in the passing game. We've saw some stuff with, you know, Conley, the rookie wide receiver in that Houston game, but you know, that's that's the question that Kansas City is going to have to deal with. When we talk about what Macklin is able to do in that Kansas City offense, how, how do they typically deploy him, and what does he open up for Kelsey uh, on the rest of the field then? Well, I mean, it's interesting going into this year. You you've heard a lot about Alex Smith, you know, checking the ball down, being very conservative, and you know, Macklin's given them enough of a vertical threat in the passing game that it opens up stuff underneath. It's not like he's running deep every route, but there's that potential. He's had some big plays in the vertical passing game. It stretches the field just enough to open up the field underneath, open up routes for Kelsey, open up routes for the backs out of the backfield. And that's what he brings to the table. Can they? If he can't go, can they get that same sort of, you know, um, addition from Conley? Maybe. Um, that's something we'd have to see, you know, depending on how it plays out. Now I'm going to talk to you about one place that I do think uh, the Patriots do have a clear edge here, and that's in the kicking game. Okay, uh, When we talk about the kicking game here, you've got Steven Goskowski for the Patriots, pretty much the best kicker in the league right now. 
unparalleled. You know, that you talk about a guy who is incredibly accurate, has a big leg, has had a couple key kicks this year in tough situations, and you're pretty much talking about the best kicker out there in the league. On the other side, you've got Cairo Santos, a guy who also does have a big leg, but has had some accuracy issues this year, largely because he generates a lot of torque and sometimes can get a little bit side to side in his motion there. So Santos did miss seven kicks this year, clocked in at about 81%. Okay. He was four of eight from 50 plus. So a little below average there, but small sample size, but can get a little wobbly from time to time. Nine of 11 in that 40 to 49 yard range. You'd like to see that a little bit higher from that range there. And he did miss a short kick as well. We talked a lot uh, on our short podcast about the Blair Walsh missed kick. Santos does have a miss from that 20 to 29 yard range. So it does happen even outside of key playoff situations. And I think if this does come into a close game, you know, this is something that could be a three-point swing either way, or you talk about the potential for a missed extra point, of which Santos has missed two, haven't seen any misses from Goskowski on those extra points yet. Well, another issue is, and you can answer this better than I can, is is weather going to be a factor on Saturday? Well, it is, and, and, and let's let's talk about how weather affects the kicking game here because when, when you deal with cold weather, you talk about, first of all, you have a foot that generally, you know, you can do foot warmers and so forth, but you generally don't have a whole lot of, you know, circulation in that part of your body. It's difficult to stay warm. You throw in the fact that there's the potential for some freezing rain and some snow. You know, that's it's a difficult situation to keep a foot warm, and you could see that be a major factor here, not only just with keeping... Uh, you know, the, the kicking foot warm, but you talk about your plant foot and whether you're going to see some sliding around in situations like that. That's something that you do have to prepare for. Kansas City, not a warm environment necessarily, so y- you would think that uh, a guy like Santos has at least kicked in similar conditions, whether in practice or in a game over the last couple of years, but it is definitely something that I think is a cause for concern and something that I think you're going to have to watch as that game unfolds there. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, New England has had success, you know, in playoff games, at home, in the elements. And you wonder if, you know, history kind of just, you know, we returns the form here. Exactly. So that's going to be something that I'm watching uh, from from that perspective there. Let's talk about the other game uh, that we're going to have coming up in the AFC as well. You've got a potentially, uh, you know, somewhat bruised and battered Steelers team with questions about both Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown right now going in to face a very good defense in Denver. What are the key things you're looking at here? I mean, again, it, it, you start with health. I mean, at this point in the season, everybody's kind of banged up. But, you know, Roethlisberger, you know, we just heard that he's got a shoulder injury. He's got, you know, other injuries that he's dealing with that he suffered in that game. Um, you know, and obviously the health of Antonio Brown, who's a you know core element to that offense. I mean, those are two guys that need to be, you know, at or near their best for Pittsburgh to go into Denver and pull this out, like you said, against that tough defense. And that's a big question mark. I mean, Roethlisberger, he's got, you know, the AC joint sprained in his shoulder and torn ligaments in the shoulder. I mean, we saw in that final drive, we've talked about it, he wasn't really able to drive the ball downfield. They were still able to get into field goal position to win that game against Cincinnati. But you've got to be able to make plays downfield, especially against a defense like Denver's, you know, plays won't be easy to come by you've got to be able to you know take advantage when you get opportunities will his shoulder be sufficient enough for him to make those plays yeah and and then on the other side of the ball we have to touch on this we have uh, a new quarterback coming in for the Broncos I believe yeah a new quarterback I believe you know you know what's what's old is new again I guess right well, that's exactly. I mean, you figure I kind of view quarterback ages kind of like cholesterol and that cholesterol gets to 200 and it resets back to zero. 
Quarterbacks are the same way. You get to that 39-40 range, you're a rookie again, right? It's you know you're coming back in, kind of getting back to where you started out. What 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 are you looking for from Peyton Manning? I mean, obviously we saw him for I think seven or eight passes in the last game here. What do you want to see from him in this game? Well, let me just say at the outset that it doesn't work that way, Chuck. I just turned 39. You're not there yet. Trust me. When you hit 39. Everything's a lot slower to recover, my friend. <laughs> Believe me on that one. But what I'm looking for from Peyton is he's basically he's you know he should be fairly rested. Um, he should be in pretty good shape. I mean, we just said that you know at this point in the season, most guys are battling something, some sort of bruise, injury. You're not feeling you know 100%. Peyton should be close to as 100% as he can get right now. Obviously, you know the neck injury and the nerve damage and stuff are an issue. But you've got a guy that's on this has been on the shelf for a while. You know, this might be his last ride here in the playoffs, this playoffs. So I'd expect to see Peyton Manning come out and play pretty well. I mean, you know, did some things okay in that playoff game, in the last game of the season. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him put up some big numbers. Yeah, and, and just briefly talking about the other side of the ball, we're going to have Alex Kazora from SteelersDepot.com coming on in a little bit to talk about the Steelers. But you got to figure, the Steelers, if Roethlisberger is hurt, you figure they got to try to rely on a running game, but you're also down to, I think, your fourth and fifth string running backs there for the Steelers. So that's something uh, that we are going to have to watch pretty closely as well. I do want to go to our first guest of the day right now. We are joined by Luke Easterling from Bleacher Report. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Luke Easterling. And Luke, I appreciate you joining us. Hey, a pleasure to, uh, to be on the pod. Obviously, respect your guys' work. Love what you do and uh, love watching uh, your uh, reach grow over the last year or so. And, uh, again, thanks for having me. Well, hey, I can tell you we're, we're big fans of your work, too, and so it means a lot for you to, uh, you know, that you're able to come on with us here. And I guess I want to start uh, talking a little bit just about the happenings of the last, uh, you know, week, week and a half with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. In particular, you've got Lovey Smith, who is now exiting here. And talk to us a little bit about what the situation is there now, and, and really where you think they have to go here? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of different layers to, to why Lovey Smith uh, was dismissed. I think, obviously, you look at an 8-24 and record, three games worse than Greg Schiano was over the two years that he spent in Tampa. Uh, you know, it, so, I mean, really, you look there and you say, well, you can't really argue with that even just on, you know, on the surface level with those numbers. You lose, you know, you win three games at home over two seasons, and, uh, as General Manager Jason Light said in the press conference, you know he thinks that uh, the fans have been patient enough when when that's the situation. So I think that it came down to a lot of things. I think that there uh, were some things that happened that have been reported, um, whether it was Lovey Smith, you know, basically admonishing a, a leader, a captain on the team after he was giving a, a huge pregame speech before the Saints game uh, back in December that kind of deflated the whole team right before they went out there. Uh, had to do with the player using profanity, and, and Lovey Smith kind of quieted him down and kind of <laughs> cut his knees out from under him in his pregame speech. And really, uh, you know, from talking to people who have talked to the players there, that that was really surprising to them. And kind of, you know, just again, you you, you talk about a, a coach that schematically you wonder if his his philosophy is kind of outdated with his defensive scheme. And I think that the things that we've seen, like like I said, with that instance in the locker room, you wonder if he's somewhat out of touch also off the field and on the field. And I just think there were so many things. It was kind of a perfect storm. Then you throw in the fact that, you know, Dirk Cutter is going to get a lot of uh, a lot of play in the, in the open market as a potential head coaching candidate. Do you risk losing him and the fact that he built a top five offense with a rookie quarterback in his first season? 
So I just think it was a perfect storm. I think the Glazers took a, a day or two to kind of let things settle down and, and figure out if that's where, where they wanted to go. Uh, and that's eventually the decision they came to. Luke, that rookie quarterback looks to be sort of a star in the making and Jameis Winston. I mean, not just in the way he's played on the field, but he looks to be sort of growing into almost a leadership role with that team already. It's been a joy to watch his first year in the NFL. What were your takeaways from Jameis's rookie season? You know, I I went down to One Buck for rookie minicamp back in May, right after they drafted him. And, and you can just, there's such a different atmosphere when he's on the field and when he's in the building. You can just feel it. Uh, and that's the type of buzz that, that a leader and, and just that rare type of player at the quarterback position can bring to a franchise. And it's something that you could argue the Bucks have never had in 40 seasons at that position. So uh, it's definitely something rare that I think they realize they've got lightning in a bottle with Jameis Winston. Uh, obviously, you look at the on-field uh, production. I think people probably expected, you know, some yards, some some touchdowns. But I think people, myself included, expected him to make more mistakes than he did, uh, as far as turning the ball over and that sort of thing. So, I think that you know the future is bright. Twenty-one years old. About halfway through the season, you could clearly see a shift to him as the vocal leader in the face of the franchise. Uh, and really, you know, the sky is the limit for him. The thing is, I think that's what makes this coaching hire so important for the Bucks is that they can't screw it up because they can't waste what they have in Winston on, on messing up on a, on a coaching hire and, and you know, not providing him stability if they make the wrong choice. And a couple of years down the road, they're in a similar situation. Uh, they really need to make sure that they allow him to grow and give him the tools to do that. So I think he was very impressive as a rookie. Uh, and I think that as they continue to build around him, give him a defense that can protect leads and not, you know, need him to, to go out and throw for three, 400 yards a game to win games. I think he'll only uh, get better as time goes on. Luke, as we uh, start to head into the next couple weeks here, starting to close in on the Senior Bowl, and obviously talking about Jameis Winston coming off his outstanding rookie year, but now starting to look at the next potential rookie class. And a couple interesting tidbits just that we've picked up in the last week now. Uh, we are going to see Carson Wentz down in Mobile, I believe. We are not going to see Connor Cook. Talk to me a little bit about what you're looking for as, also, as well as you know, kind of what scouts were looking for in, in terms of who they wanted to see there and what the buzz is at the quarterback position for the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I think it's interesting because this is the first year we're actually going to have eight quarterbacks in Mobile, and I think they did that. Phil Savage and his team uh, at the Senior Bowl wanted to give guys like Connor Cook every opportunity to still get in the game uh, and come be a part of the quarterback camp, as they want to call it. Uh, but, you know, for me, I'm, I'm maybe I'm just an old-school guy still, and, and, and I, I want a quarterback who who is drawn to competition. I want a quarterback who can't help but take advantage of every opportunity to prove himself and to and to go out there and compete. And and you look at guys like Philip Rivers and Derek Carr and guys that, that went in and and made so much uh, money and made such an impact in the Senior Bowl that week. It's such a, a mecca for the entire NFL, uh, all of you know, the front offices and media and, and even fans that go to see the, the practices and the games. It's such a, a unique opportunity to see players one-on-one and in drills and even in a game situation against some of the best players in the country. And that's why I think the choice of a guy like Carson Wentz coming from North Dakota State has a chance to make a huge impact in that in that game and that atmosphere during practice that week going up against uh, FBS opponents all week. Uh, I already, just based on the film, I, I had a preference for him over Connor Cook as far as senior quarterbacks go. But even more so now when you look at Cook kind of making more of a business decision 
to avoid the game. I know he's dealing with the shoulder, and, and that plays into it as well. But, again, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, I prefer a quarterback who is not going to shy away from competition, uh, who's going to go after it and take every opportunity to prove that he belongs and prove that he's the best. Uh, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Wentz responds to that and whether or not there's there's a negative impact on the draft stock of Connor Cook by not being willing to do that. In addition to Wentz and uh, Connor Cook, look, there are some other QBs that are going to be down in Mobile that, from where I sit, have a chance to kind of, you know, improve their draft stock a bit, guys like Dak Prescott or Jeff Driscoll. Are there some other guys, you know, in this Mobile class of QBs that you've got an eye on or thinking, you know, maybe this guy can take a leap when he's down there that week? You know, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Dak Prescott. I think that he gets yeah. billed as the next Tim Tebow, and, and I understand why from a skill set as a runner, but passer, he really doesn't get enough credit. I, I think that he, he throws a very good ball, even a deep ball, uh, for a guy that's built more like a running back. And, and I, I think that people who are trying to pigeonhole him as a, you know, having to change position to the next level really aren't giving him enough credit as a passer and as a leader. Uh, so I think he's the one that I'm really intrigued to see how he does in an environment uh, with pro coaches and pro-style offenses and terminology and that sort of thing. I think he could be really fun to watch. Very good. Well, Luke, uh, do have to let you go now, but i I got to say you probably had a uh, good night on Monday, am I right, with uh, Bama coming through there? Yeah, yeah, man. Lifelong Bama fan since I was uh, about six or seven years old and watched that 92 team. team. Uh, fell in love with that team as a kid and uh, definitely went through some lean years as I was growing up. I remember losing to uh, Southern Miss at home, I believe, uh, Saban's first year. So uh, it's nice to be back on the mountaintop. It's been a, a crazy six or seven years with all these championships that they've won. But, I mean, just you know, tip, stepping back from that and just watching last night's game as a pure college football fan, I mean, that was just so much fun. I mean, it felt as close to the, the Texas-USC Rose Bowl as I feel like we've been since then. And I honestly thought that Deshaun Watson was going to pull a Vince Young and, and bring that team back when they were down 11 or 12. Uh, obviously, as a Bama fan, I'm selfishly happy that that didn't happen. But it was just such good entertainment. I felt like it was such a fun game to watch for all the fans that, that tuned in and stayed up to see two true championship teams uh, fight for one trophy. And, and it was just just was such an enjoyable game. Definitely. I can tell you it was a treat for just about everyone to watch. And uh, certainly, I had a blast with it. So, Luke, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Hey, sounds great, gentlemen. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Luke. Luke Easterling from Bleacher Report. You can follow him on Twitter, at Luke Easterling. And, Mark, during that game, I think it was probably in, like, the first or second quarter, you even said to me, you said, this looks an awful lot like Vince Young back in the day. Yeah, I mean, it had that vibe, and there was, you know, discussions like that on Twitter, and you know, I mean, the, the other quarterback performances that come to mind, I mean, obviously Vince Young, that Rose Bowl performance against USC, I mean, that's, you know, stuff of legends. And, you know, we also kind of forget, you know, Mike Vick, that Sugar Bowl against Florida State, that was another very impressive performance. But, you know, Deshaun Watson, I mean, we're talking draft. He's not draft eligible. He will, he'll be in next year's class, the class after this one. I mean, he's a guy that I am really excited to watch next season. You know, Clemson has, you know, talent coming back. I mean, the two focal points of their offense, you know, with Watson and their running back, Gallman, who's another great player, um, they're both going to be back next year. Um, so I would not be surprised to see Clemson in the discussion again next year. Yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting to watch that team as they get to grow and develop together and see if they can put together back-to-back years and really, uh, you know, brand that as a team that is going to compete for a championship year in and year out. 
I do want to go now to our Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week. Every week we take a look at one of the key plays of the week. We think it is actually the key play of the week on offense. And Mark, I believe we have a Packers play from Wildcard Weekend. We do have a Packers play for the Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week, brought to you as always in part by NASA, who reminds you that, look, if you win Powerball, there's only one organization that's keeping an eye in the sky for you, and it is a big sky. So if you win Powerball this week, maybe throw a couple of bucks their way. But, Chuck, we're looking at a touchdown uh, throw from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams late in the first half of that game against the Washington wildcard weekend. And, you know, a lot of the talk leading up to this game is kind of, you know, can Green Bay get their offense on track? Uh, we talked about it a bit in our Quick Kicks podcast about how they were able to find some plays in the passing game. And this one in particular was, you know, a touchdown on a slant corner route, which we've talked about a little bit. And basically what it looks like given the situation, um, Washington – they knows it's, you know, it's second and goal with 22 seconds left. Um, Green Bay's on the 10-yard line. Green Bay's out of timeout. So Washington, they show blitz before the snap, but they really kind of drop into almost what looks like a soft cover three zone. They're really trying to take away a touchdown, force Green Bay to, like, throw in the ball, you know, in the field of play and then trying to make the tackle and force Green Bay into a, you know, either a quick situation where they have to spike it and kick or really just kind of hold them into the field of play and use the clock to their advantage. So Green Bay comes out, they've got 11 personnel, they've got three receivers to the right with a tight end, and Adams is a single receiver to the left with the running back, James Stark, kind of shaded to that side. Washington has five defenders, they've got nickel coverage, and they put Deshaun Golson, a safety, in press alignment over Adams. And what they try to run here is sort of a combination zone slash man where Adams is going to take the first receiver that cuts into the, to the inside and kind of stay on him sort of in a man look. And then the cornerback to that side is going to drop and take, you know, protect deep and then break on any sort of out route. Now, what happens is Adams runs this slant corner route where at the snap of the ball, he puts his left foot to the outside, flares it to the outside to show an out cut. Golson in response slides a bit and tries to get a jam on him. That's when Adams releases inside sort of on a slant design. Golson whiffs on the jam and then peeks his head to the inside thinking Rodgers is going to throw a quick slant. He's going to try to make a play on the ball. But Adams is staying vertical. So when, you know, Golson kind of undercuts that a bit, Adams gets separation and then breaks to the outside away from the safety in the middle of the field. And then when Starks, the running back, sort of releases outside to the flat, that cornerback has to widen and come forward a little bit on that. And it opens up that back corner of the end zone where Rodgers is able to find Adams. It's a nicely designed and even better executed quick little slant corner route for the touchdown. It gives the Packers the lead and they would go on to win. How important is that relationship there between Rodgers and Adams for the Packers to be able to find success in, in the upcoming weeks here? Because you look at what they've done this season and it's been kind of this on-again, off-again connection that hasn't really been consistent but but seems to finally be clicking a little bit better in the last week or so. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's pretty important for Rodgers to be on the same page with, I think, all of his receivers right now. Um, you know, the same sort of problems that were, you know, giving Green Bay fits during the regular season, you know, pass protection problems, route concepts that, as we talked about with Doug Farrar when we had him on, you know, at the end of the 2015, um, route concepts that weren't really giving Rodgers a lot to choose from, receivers that weren't getting separation. 
And then when Rodgers is pressured and receivers don't have separation, throws aren't as accurate as they could be, and passes can't be completed. They didn't run into a lot of that against Washington. But that might have been more because Washington was really just rushing four, had problems in the secondary, and they were trying to make sure they could get guys covered. Rodgers was able to make plays, extend plays a little bit with his feet and find open receivers. Those problems, I think, might still be there. Yep. And it's going to be interesting to see if you go up against a little bit better of a defense in Arizona with some better athletes on that side of the football. Yep. If those problems are still there and if they are, if the relationship that Rodgers has with guys like Adams will be enough to overcome those. Good, good. Well, let's, uh, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in a little bit more depth here. But let's uh, let's turn now. Take a look at one of our glossary terms. We cover a term from the inside the pylon glossary every week here uh, on the podcast. And this week, we're taking a look at the term cadence. And Mark, cadence. You're, you're a quarterback. Give me a quick, quick little description. Cadence, what is it? Is it, What is it? Well, a lot of people think that it's really just the snap count. You know, when you're in the huddle, you say, okay, we're going to go, you know, you know, we pro right X5, A5, A cross, B shoot on two. People think that the on two, the snap count, you know, the hot hut is the cadence, but there's really more to that. And in the glossary piece that we've got up on Inside the Pylon right now, which people should check out, I've got, you know, playbook excerpts from three different teams showing you how teams can build in other things in addition to the snap count into the cadence. You can build in things like, you know, you know, for example, when we were at Wesleyan, the cadence that we had, it always began with the first two words. It was either man or zone because we were going to try to, you know, inform the rest of the offense if the secondary was in man coverage or in zone coverage because routes would adjust dependent on whether it's man or zone so we would do that then you can build in something like a color and a number scheme and that's an audible scheme where you know at Wesleyan we had either you know a safety color which means you know we're running the play or we had sometimes a couple of different indicators we could go blue blue equals equals sky so we're audible into a pass we could go green which is a run green grass run if you watch the national championship game and you watch the coaches' film session that they had on, I think it was ESPN2, they were talking about duck or rabbit calls. Same kind of thing. You go duck, you're audible into a pass. You go rabbit, you're audible into a run. So you can build that in. In the Gus Malzahn playbook expert excerpt, he also can build in audible structures based on you can use you know professional team names. So you can change the play as well. And sometimes you can even alter the snap count based on what you're trying to do. I've got the Spurrier 1994, I think, Florida playbook, and they would run plays on three when they're trying to draw a defense offside and take a vertical shot downfield, try to get that free play, use that hard count on the second hut, draw a defender offside, and then go vertical. So it was even, you know, designs in sort of an offensive scheme built into the snap count and the cadence. So there's a lot that a team can do, both in terms of the words before the snap count and the snap count, to kind of craft a good play and set the offense up for a big play. And so this even includes, uh, you know, just quickly, this even includes, you know, probably the most famous, uh, you know, aud- not audible, but just part of a cadence that you hear when you hear Peyton Manning going Omaha. That's we're, when we're talking cadence. That's included in there. That's included there as well. That you know, it's basically kind of an audible call. Or I think they usually most mostly use that as a dummy call, where they're just basically saying we're going to run what we called in the huddle, and you know, they roll with what the play was called. Outstanding. Well, we do now have our second guest on the line here. We are joined by Alex Kazora from SteelersDepot.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. And Alex, I appreciate you joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Definitely, definitely. And and let's uh, let's start where I think most people want to uh, hear about the Steelers here. 
the injury questions, both to Antonio Brown as well as, just as importantly, Ben Roethlisberger saying today, I believe, that he potentially has some ligament damage in his shoulder as well. What's, uh, you know, what's the outlook for the Steelers, and, and what are they going to try to do to adjust to these injuries? Well, uh, Mike Tomlin just finished up uh, his press conference, and uh, he, he said Ben has a chance to play. Uh, obviously, if there's any quarterback that can that can play through any sort of injury, it's Ben Roethlisberger. Tomlin really has kind of chalked it up to more of a pain management issue, and I think Ben has the highest you know pain tolerance of almost anybody in the league. Um, but you know, he, he said he has a chance, so it's obviously not looking that great. Antonio Brown still in the concussion protocol. Uh, that's always unpredictable. You know, there's been conflicting reports about you know his availability for Sunday against Denver. So you, you know we're just gonna kind of have to wait and see. You know if he takes the steps through concussion protocol. And then D'Angelo Williams um, is on the outside looking in, according to Tomlin. So that doesn't sound good. Um, so it'll likely again be the combination of Fitzgerald Toussaint and Jordan Todman this week. But you know, they were impressive. Uh, last week, I thought they ran really hard. I thought Toussaint did a great job out of the backfield and in pass protection. Um, they had good vision, they, you know, getting downhill, um, just getting Kinney through the hole. Uh, so I thought both did well, but uh, it'll be a really tough challenge against Denver and that great run defense. Alex, assuming, you know, sitting here, we're talking about Ben Roethlisberger, it's pretty clear that, you know, if he can barely walk, he's still going to go because, you know, like you said, he's got a you know high pay tolerance. He's a guy that's played through pain. But the issue being is if he's limited in some way, especially with a shoulder injury, how much can that Denver run game, I mean, that Pittsburgh run game, including the guys you just mentioned, take the load off of his shoulder? It's definitely going to have to. Uh, you, you know, you you can't get yourself. I mean, in any game, you can't get yourself in second and long, third and long, kind of off script. But uh, especially whenever your quarterback might be limited in some way, uh, you know, you're going to have to be able to get some good plays on on first and second down, get yourself in some third and manageable situations, just to help open up the playbook. Um, and of course, anytime you get yourself in third and long and you're taking deeper drops and you're having to hold on to the football more, you know, you're asking for more. If you have a pass rush and and a better chance to get hit and sacked and, and just feel that, that injury. Because, um, again, it, it sounds like, according to Tomlin, it's really going to be about a pain issue. And any hit that you take, any sack that you take, um, you're just going to feel it that much more. Um, so, I mean, it, it's always vital, but in, in this game especially, um, you got to get yourself in some third manageable just to just help open up the playbook and, and, and take some of that pressure off of Ben. Alex, when we, when we talk about the ability to run the ball against Denver – Denver has the strongest run defense uh, in the NFL this year uh, on a per-attempt per basis, giving up only 3.3 yards per attempt. What types of things do you think the Steelers could do from a schematic perspective to try to generate some type of movement on the ground in this game? Well, one thing I really like about what the Steelers' run game has done all season is just how varied they are you know, in their rushing attack. It's not all just power gap schemes. It's not all just zone schemes. They mix up kind of a bit of everything. You know, you'll get some power runs. You'll get some you know, backside guard pulling. You'll get your inside zone. Even occasionally get a dart scheme with the backside tackle pulling. So I think you, just, you give you know, the defense, Denver here, a lot to plan for. And I think that's just one step to trying to – create an effective rushing attack. It's not to be so predictable in what you do. Um, I, I think in any game, whenever you're going against the Denver team that has a great defensive line, you know, Malik Jackson, Derek Wolf, uh, those guys are fantastic. Those guys are, 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 I think, underrated, you know, nationally. You know, when people talk about some of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. So I think, you know, in, in this case, angles and leverage is going to be important. 
So maybe you run some of those power runs and you're trying to wash, you know, Jackson or, or Wolf um, to the inside and, and you're pulling around them or, or something like that. Um, so I, I think just being creative in the approach and not being predictable in, in what you like to do is probably the first step in that. Uh, but, of course, it just comes down to a lot of execution. Um, and, and then when you're facing some of the top talent like that, uh, you can talk about the X's and O's as much as you want. And, and I and we love talking about that. Uh, but you just have to try to find a way to get a hat on some of these guys. Alex, a name we haven't talked about yet, and this might be kind of ripe for this game, I think, is uh, tight end Heath Miller. And, you know, from where I sit, this might be one of those classic Heath goes for 8 and 92 and a touchdown. Could he possibly be sort of the X factor, you know, given Roethlisberger's injuries, you know, some struggles in the run game, Antonio Brown? Could this be a game where he can find some space, you know, maybe against those linebackers and do some good things for the Pittsburgh offense? Absolutely, especially if Antonio Brown is out. You're going to have to rely on your other guys. I think. You know, one thing that Todd Haley had gotten away from the last couple weeks of the regular season that he brought back last week, and I was really happy about it, was some of those package plays, those RPOs. Uh, he started the game with several of those. Um, so in, in some of those packages and some of those RPOs, you know, you have Heath Miller as one of the main targets in the passing option of it. You know, he has an inside zone that he pairs with a swing and a seam with Miller running down the seam, and they've gotten some big chunk plays off of that throughout the season. So I think, you know, that's almost where Miller's at his most effective because, you know, he is, you know, he's never been a great athlete and, and in well into his 30s now. He's, he's certainly not gotten any better as an athlete and losing a little bit. So um, just, just some of those kind of, you know, RPOs and things like that will help Ben and I think will help open up Keith Miller. Very good. Well, Alex, uh, I'm sure that you're excited for Sunday. I can tell you we're pretty excited to see what happens in this one, too. And uh, definitely we'll check in with you after the game, make sure that you still have a pulse and that you're still ready to go, all right? <laughs> all right. I, I hope to be here. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Alex. Alex Kazora from SteelersDepot.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. And I think, I think as, as he said, look, one of the keys there is just going to be, look, you got to line up in that running game and be able to get something because even if Roethlisberger is a go, you know he's not 100%. Yeah, and, and and part of it is, you know, as Alex mentioned at the end, those run pass options, those RPOs. If you can get the ground game, not even, you know, clicking, but just establish enough of a presence in the ground game, it stresses the defense horizontally from sideline to sideline when Roethlisberger takes a snap, puts the ball in the running back's belly, and reads the defense. I mean, if if the defense can just say, look, you know, he's not going to give the ball, you know, if they can, you know, just play pass on those plays, it's going to be a long afternoon. But if, you know, if those linebackers are thinking, oh, man, he could give this and he could go for six, he could go for four, I could at least, you know, check that run, you know, make sure he does, you know, hand the ball off or does keep it, you know, it opens up opportunities in the passing game. Exactly, exactly. So I think I think that's going to be a fascinating game to watch to see what Pittsburgh tries to do and, and really what they're able to do against that good Denver run defense. But let's uh, let's go over to the NFC here. And which which game do you want to start with? You want to start Packers-Cardinals here? I mean, yeah, let's start there. Because I, I mean, the Seahawks-Panthers yeah. game, I think, is just going to be an outstanding... I think it's, it's like the premier matchup of this weekend, actually. So let's do Packers-Cardinals and then finish Seahawks-Panthers. That works. Okay. Packers-Cardinals. Uh, this is a game. Arizona, you know, pretty heavily favored for a second-round playoff game here. Uh, they've done well at home aside from that late-season loss to uh, to the Seahawks here. What do the Packers have to do, and, and really, can the Packers compete with the Cardinals in this game? I mean, I think they can. 
I mean, the, the, the bigger question is, you know, will they? And that basically comes down to what we just sort of talked about with Alex and execution. I mean, again, you know, the questions I think still linger for that Green Bay offense. I don't think the victory over Washington really answered them as sufficiently as, you know, Packers Nation might have liked. But, you know, they got a chance now, you know, maybe they've fixed a little bit of things. They've got a little bit of confidence after, you know, a road playoff win. You know, can they do it two weeks in a row? I don't know. Um, but they've got tape to work from. I mean, this is a rematch from a game in the regular season where Green Bay went down there and just kind of got things handed to them. Um, that was a game that was over pretty quickly. You know, maybe, you know, the coaching staff can take some things from that tape, show the guys, hey, look, you know, here are some opportunities where you missed plays. Here are some things where, you know, if you execute this block, you got a big play. If you make this throw, you got a big play. So, guys, look, there are chances here, you know, and we can – you know, put a game plan together, going down there and, you know, pull out a win. What about on the other side of the ball? I mean, I, I look at this from the perspective of you've got a high-powered Cardinals offense that essentially was second in the league just behind the Carolina Panthers scoring 489 points this year. And you have, I think we'd all probably agree, a pretty average Packers defense. It's, it doesn't stand out in, in, in really any facet of the game at this point. And are they going to be able to slow down that Cardinals offense? Because you look at what Arizona is able to do, and whether you're talking about really a multifaceted passing attack where you have you know three pretty good options out there right now with Fitzgerald, Brown, and Floyd, and then you talk about uh, kind of this two-headed assault coming from uh, the Johnsons in, in the running game, I mean, you've got some weapons there, and, and I wonder if the Packers can slow that down. Yeah, I mean, what's the line on this game? Do you know? Seven. I mean, seven, you've got Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer that have been playing really well, and they've got an extra week or so to prep for this and put together a game plan to go up against, like you said, sort of an average Packers defense. I mean, seven points. I mean, I don't know. I don't like to give out gambling advice, people, but, I mean, I might want to put my chips in with Arians and Palmer in this situation. I mean, you know, they do a lot of nice things in the vertical passing game. They've got a lot of nice designs to – you know, free up receivers, you know, show the defense one thing on one side of the field, but bring something backside, you know, even some traditional passing concepts like sale concepts um, to get, you know, a three levels read for Palmer on one side of the field and stretch the defense vertically. Um, I'm excited to see what Arians and Palmer have in store, what they've got cooking up their sleeve for uh, what hopefully is a good game. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this, I, I've been in recent weeks, as he's gotten a bigger workload, very impressed with David Johnson in the running game too. I mean, he's a guy that has good quickness. He's, he's you know, a slightly bigger back, about 220, 225 pounds, so he's got some good mass to him and, and seems to really be a guy who can control a game in the running game if they need to go in that direction too. So I think it's, you know, if, if you do see Arizona get off to an early lead, you know, it, it may be a situation where they're able to say, okay, we can just, you know, take some take some time off the clock and not give Aaron Rodgers the ball back even uh, so I think that's something to watch as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, it, that's just another sort of weapon that Arians has at his disposal. I mean, they've got two backs that do things a little bit differently so he can show different looks um, in addition to that vertical passing game. So, again, just really interested to see, you know, very curious almost to see the game plan that Arians has in store. Yeah. Now, the big one, and this this is a matchup that I think everyone in the NFC wanted to see at some point. I think a lot of people – thought this may have ended up being uh, a, a championship game in the NFC, but just because of seeding ends up happening on the divisional weekend. And this is the Carolina Panthers 
hosting the Seattle Seahawks. And, and I can tell you, I'm pretty excited to see this because it's two teams that uh, met. What, what was the week that they met this season? Do you know? Off the top of my head, I don't. I, it was like maybe week five or week six. Was, I can look that up. But, I mean, these are teams that are pretty familiar. I mean, they met in this round last year, too. Yeah. And and when you look at this, what what's the key matchup that you want to see here? Is it is it on the offense for Carolina, offense for Seattle? Where is it? I mean, there are two. I mean, I actually previewed this divisional matchup last year and there are two things that I looked at um, in looking at this game and how these teams go against each other. One thing is, you know, those Carolina linebackers, I mean, Seattle likes to do a lot of building off of play action. I don't know if Marshawn Lynch is going to be back this week. He, you know, he didn't make the trip last week, but, you know, can Seattle sort of establish sort of the run game and then build play auction off of that and get those linebackers moving different ways? Another matchup I'm really interested in is given what Carolina has done offensively this season, the reliance on Greg Olson, how he's developing sort of a threat you know, for that passing game. Cam Chancellor versus Greg Olson. Yep. I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, I think. I mean, obviously, Ginn's going to try to take things off the top, um, run some vertical routes. They've got Sherman. I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of running with Ginn for a lot of this game with Earl Thomas over the top. But, you know, that underneath, that sort of seam stuff with Chancellor and Olson, that's going to be an area I'm watching. What about uh, in terms of uh, running game here? You've got a very potent rushing attack, both because of Cam Newton as well as, you know, Jonathan Stewart, I think, having kind of an under-the-radar year only getting 242 carries but getting close to a thousand yards anyways are they going to be able to find some gaps against that always tough Seattle front yeah I mean I think they'll be able to find some gaps I mean the key issue is going to be controlling the line of scrimmage as far as the run game goes and you know you know Michael Bennett you know we've had people on talking about how you know Danny Kelly at field goals talking about how important he's been to that you know defense and that defensive front I mean Kenny can control the line of scrimmage a bit you know change Russian lanes, frustrate Russian lanes, you know, give Stewart and the running backs a different look. I mean, that's going to be a big question. I'm going to give you uh, a, a special teams key to this game. Okay. Oh you have two kickers, Graham Gano and Steven, Ka- Steven Hauschka, both of whom have struggled with block kicks throughout their career. Gano actually has the most kick block kicks out of any uh, active kicker in the league. Okay. This is something when you get into the playoffs and especially this type of environment here, you have the potential for a block kick here as being something that can change the course of a game. Both of these guys have struggled with this over the course of their career. Both of them have had trajectory issues in the past. They both have big legs. They both have good legs, but they have occasionally struggled to get the ball up quickly enough, and it's something that I think is important to watch in this game, whether or not that becomes a factor. Well, actually, that reminds me. Didn't Chancellor block a kick in this game last year? He had. This was the one where he essentially hurtled the line. And right. uh, essentially, you know, hurdled the line and came in. And did, I'm trying to remember, did that get returned for a touchdown? I'm not sure. I'm actually trying to look that up right now. But I mean, we had, you know, the Blair Walsh miss, but you, we've talked about it. Um, that might have been influenced by Richard Sherman almost blocking a kick in that game. I mean, that's an interesting thing. I mean, we saw in the national championship game last night how Alabama has sort of some of their starters. Both teams really had starters on the special teams. You've got two of their key defenders, Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman. You know, on the punt block, on the field goal block team. Yeah, it's it's something that I think you have to watch. Normally, I don't point it out because typically the average kicker has a kick block just about every two years. These guys, uh, you talk about Gano. Gano, I think, is averaging more than one kick blocked per year, and Hauschka is just under one kick blocked per season that he's played. So both of them, I think, you got to watch out for it just as something that could come into play here. So, uh, Mark, we're 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 done. We're done. 
We're done. Nice and tidy show, my friend. Good made, work. Made it through everything. So uh, I guess we'll uh, you know we'll be watching all these games this weekend. Anything in particular uh, that you want to say just before we head out? Just enjoy the games, everybody. I mean, these this past weekend and this weekend, I mean, they're probably the two most enjoyable weekends of the of the football season, really, because, I mean, you've got the wild card games, you've got the national championship game, which was a great game, as we talked about last night, um, we recording this on Tuesday. And then, you know, the four divisional games. I mean, football season's almost over, people, so enjoy it while we've got it. It's about as good as it gets. So make sure you do enjoy those games. Stay warm, stay safe. As always, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash insidethepylon. Visit insidethepylon.com every day for all of our articles. We'll see you right back here next week on Inside the Pylon, the podcast.